0: Tomorrow's Headlines That's the title of our series of talks and you're listening to Search for Truth with Brian Johnston, our Search for Truth Bible teacher. This is John Martin giving you a very warm welcome and thanking you for tuning in. It's good to have you with us for the third talk in our series in which Brian looks at Bible prophecy and the emergence of a United States of Europe. Sounds intriguing, doesn't it? So let's hear what Brian and the Bible have to say about it. Perhaps we ought to recap
1: where we've got to. We've thought about the first event believers on Jesus Christ are waiting for, which is his return for them. Contrary to some opinions, that won't signal the end of the world. The state of the world will continue to get worse once the salt of the earth, that's Christ's church, has been removed from it. Trends which had already been developing will accelerate. One of these trends we've already begun looking at is the unification of Europe. The Bible predicts a European bloc of countries will one day wield a global influence, eclipsing even that of the United States today. It'll become a mighty military and political powerhouse as a federation of ten sovereign states. For a while, it won't appear quite like that. It's one of the golden rules of prophecy – that we need to be prepared for complexities. But both the Bible books of Daniel and Revelation agree perfectly in their gruesome portrayal of this empire as a monstrous beast with ten horns. Horns being ancient symbols of power and representing its ten confederate kings, the heads of sovereign states who have allied themselves with each other. We saw last time how the Bible prophet Daniel around 600 BC, successfully anticipated the rise of the Persian, Greek and Roman empires, empires which did indeed arise in the centuries that followed. In fact, in dealing with the whole sweep of history right to its end, God, through prophets like Daniel, has never given any indication of a successor to the Roman Empire. It seems that the emerging world power to come when fully developed in what the Bible calls the time of the end, will be viewed by God in some sense as a continuation of the Roman Empire. In other words, a superstate stretching very roughly over the same geographical area as the Roman Empire once did. It's an idea that may take a little getting used to, but it's by no means far-fetched. After all, It's been attempted many times already, down through the centuries, by leaders like Charlemagne, Otto the Great, Napoleon Bonaparte, and more recently by Mussolini. In fact, talking of attempts like Napoleon's to resurrect, in effect, the old Roman Empire, it was none other than Winston Churchill who said, We must build a kind of United States of Europe. That was back in 1946. More than 2,500 years ago, the Bible predicted that, after the death of Jesus, the people of a still future prince would destroy Jerusalem and its temple. Since historically the Romans carried out that destruction, we again have to conclude that the coming world leader will be associated with people from roughly the same area that Rome once held sway over. As for the way being prepared for his emergence, it's interesting to note that as long ago as 1957, the then Secretary-General of NATO, speaking of the greatest need in Europe, said, We do not want another committee. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. This Latter-day Caesar has many titles in the Bible, but he's more popularly referred to as the Antichrist. It never seemed possible back in the mid-1980s, but within a few years the Soviet Union had disintegrated, Germany had reunited, and the Warsaw Pact had dissolved. The political landscape of Europe is now set for much more change. Europe is destined to be a major player in the new world order. In an interview in Paris in 1989, Mikhail Gorbachev echoed words spoken 30 years earlier by Charles de Gaulle when he spoke of a Europe united from the Atlantic to the Ural Mountains. The rhetoric of statesmen is one thing. The means to achieve it, however, has eluded many. Statesmen and soldiers have dreamt of a greater Europe for centuries. Hitler attempted it by force, plunging the continent and the world into a devastating war. Others, like Jacques Delors, work away quietly using behind-the-scenes diplomacy. Ever since the Second World War, Europe has been trying hard to unite. In 1948, 17 European countries banded together to give effect to the Marshall Plan. Ten years later, in 1958, six countries, Belgium, France, Italy, Luxembourg, the Netherlands and West Germany, came together to form a group known as the European Community with its Parliament and Court of Justice in Brussels. In 1986, the EEC officially adopted the goal of a politically unified Europe. In 1992, tariffs and trade quotas were eliminated to help this European bloc of countries function more easily as a single community of cooperating countries. And the 1990s saw the beginning of the end of the old East-West divide across Europe. The year 2002 saw the introduction of a common currency across Euroland, Progress may seem slow, but when we review it like that over the sweep of decades, it's moving overall in exactly the direction the Bible says it'll go, the direction of a unified Europe. Those who don't know the God of the Bible ought to be amazed that trends of the past century sit comfortably with predictions made in the Bible two and a half thousand years ago. The fact remains that it's now not hard to imagine Europe finally becoming a confederation of sovereign states. But the issue of individual national sovereignty continues to bedevil moves to fully unify Europe today. Perhaps it'll always remain a problem, for the Bible describes this final European superstate as partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and some of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. That was a reference back to a, a dream that, Nebuchadnezzar had, and that Daniel interpreted for him. So the Bible's prediction could well be understood as indicating that the union of states across Europe will always be a brittle one, always subject to the strains of nationalism. We've recently seen devastating evidence of nationalism as a disintegrating factor on the continent of Europe. Be that as it may, Let's remind ourselves that the Gentile superpower with control over the land of Israel when Christ was born was the Roman Empire, which spread from Great Britain to Israel and included Spain and Asia Minor. History is destined to repeat itself when Christ, the Messiah, returns. This brings us to another of the golden rules for understanding Bible prophecy. We need to be aware of the time perspective. Statements of prophecy and predicted events that seem to flow the one into the other can sometimes be widely separated in actual time as far as their fulfilment is concerned. In that respect, it's a bit like adjacent-looking mountain ranges which turn out to have huge valleys between them on closer inspection. Just as two summits in a mountain range look to be adjacent and connected from a distance, so Christ's Two Advents at a time of Roman domination of the Holy Land appear at times in the Bible to be without an intervening valley of at least two thousand years. Two thousand years have run their course since Christ first came at a time when Rome held sway. When he returns to earth a second time, a European Empire, or Roman Empire as the Bible still views it, will once again be exerting itself against Israel and in many ways will be dominating events as they unfold in the Middle East. The threats and dangers of today will pave the way for a strong leader. Recession, nationalism, environmental disaster, ethnic tension, religious intolerance and a deepening crisis in the Middle East will propel a leader out of the shadows. Napoleon came to power in France in the confusion of the revolution. Hitler was hailed as the man to lift Germany out of economic and psychological depression after its stinging defeat in the First World War. Lenin and Stalin rode to power on the back of mass discontentment. Someone far more powerful is waiting his moment, and he'll make his mark by negotiating peace on Israel's borders. Illustrious American presidents and diplomats have beaten a trail to the Middle East and to Jerusalem especially, in search of that elusive peace accord between Israel and its neighbours. Progress seemed to have been made by Jimmy Carter when he managed to bring Egypt and Israel together, but it ended with Egypt being ostracised and Sadat assassinated. Clinton seemed to make progress at Oslo with a land-for-peace plan between Israel and the Palestinians, but that too has since stalled. This is one problem America won't crack, but Europe will. That much is clear from Daniel's prophecy. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one seven. It was the Roman people who destroyed Jerusalem and its temple in 70 AD, since historically Romans carried out that destruction and they're described as the people of the prince, we've got to conclude that the coming world leader will be associated with people from roughly the same area that Rome once held sway over. Towards the end of history, the Bible says a critical seven-year period begins when the head of a federal Europe signs a historic peace deal for Israel. What a leader he'll be seen to be, unifying Europe and making peace in the Middle East.
0: One thing history has taught us is that Earth's kingdoms rise and fall, no matter how mighty they might be. The hymn we've just heard reminds us that there is a final kingdom coming which will never fall, where Christ is King. If you'd like to know more, or have a question about today's talk, then why not write to Brian? The address is Search for Truth, Box 246, Bolton, England. And we have a free booklet covering the complete series of 12 programmes. If you'd like one, ask for the title Tomorrow's Headlines and send to the same address, Search for Truth, Box 246, Bolton, England. If you're listening in Australia, then the address is Search for Truth, Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria 3134. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info and our website is www.searchfortruth.net. Thanks for the pleasure of your company today. I hope you enjoyed the study and I hope you can join us at the same time again next week. Until then, goodbye and God bless.